Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Uh, today, as we begin our series, uh, we're discovering what it is to be I am. Um, last week, we talked about the body of Christ, and as I said today, we're talking about uh, I'm forgiven. And I want to read you a scripture that uh, you, you probably know off by heart, whether you are a person of faith or have never made that step of faith. Uh, it's a very familiar uh, verse, and it's uh, John 3.16. For I, for God so loved the world. Everybody say, so loved. Okay, so if we're going to have a good relationship here this morning, I need more participation from you, okay? <laughs> we're going to say it again. For God, so for God. The world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You ever meet somebody with the soul loves? Somebody that not just loves something or someone, they so love someone or something. Uh, I'm that person. I wasn't that person, but I am that person now. Before I had kids, I couldn't understand why parents did what they did or acted the way that they acted towards their kids. It was weird and uncomfortable at times, uh, and especially when they watched their kids play sports. Parents just turn into these competitive animals, or maybe that's, that's just me. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, I became that person. I made a commitment before, before I became a parent that I would never be that kind of father. Uh, then I had three kids. And they look like you and are, you know, Joshua is the spitting image of his mother, right? <laughs> exactly, right? They look like you and our, and our kids uh, join uh, soccer teams called Timbits, which is cute, right? You don't find that cute when you're not a parent. <laughs> but when you're a parent, you're like, this is so cute, you know? <laughs> uh, and I remember Joshua playing soccer one day, his very first soccer game, and he gets outside of the, you know, you've, you've ever watched kids play soccer? It's like the entire community of kids chase the ball, right? There's no strategy. There's no nothing, right? So it's like, you know, like, you're like, ah, and you're, you're, you want, me being the person that I am, I want to bring order to that. But, and I'm on the sidelines, and in my mind, it's my son's first soccer game, but he is a star player. He's an athlete of epic proportions, okay, in my mind. And so I'm watching them, and they're moving down the field, and Josh gets the ball. And of course, of course he gets the ball. He's my son, right? And I'm on the sidelines going, yeah, get the ball, Josh, go towards it. And they're all make their way towards the, to, to the goal line. And I'm not even sure if Joshua put the, the, the soccer ball in the net, but he, he's my son, so he did, right? And it makes for a better story. But actually, I think he did. But so he, they're all going down the line, and I'm like, shoot the ball in the net. And he shoots the ball. He looks back, and he kind of fumbles it into the net. And I go, goal! I'm running down the field. I'm pushing parents over, nannies and all of that, right? Because uh, I had kids. And uh, if you're a soccer player, you know that the broadcasters do that, right? Go! And, and that's exactly how I felt. We were on SP, ESPN and we were watching soccer. Do they play soccer on ESPN? I don't know. But anyway, you know, and, and so we, you, you just get that competitive spirit because I what? So love my son. You do, you go to... Uh, certain degrees when you love someone with the soul loves, 
right? Everybody say solo. We are the objects of God's love and nothing can change it. As we begin this series, last week we discovered that we are the body of Christ and, and all play a part in the body. You're not just a part, you play a part. And so today we're learning into, we're discovering what it means to be forgiven. And maybe you're in this room today and you are at the crest of some decisions that you may have made in your life and you need forgiveness. And the weight of that is on you like never before. You're carrying that weight. You've come to the right place because we're going to talk about forgiveness, the ultimate forgiveness. The stories of the, of the Bible are tailor-made for anybody in this room uh, today who's skeptical about God and his unconditional love. Uh, God's forgiveness is built on this idea that he demonstrated his love for us even though we didn't earn it or deserve it. So loved. He demonstrated by, by doing that. And so Jesus, in the context of where I want to bring you today, in the second part of the series, I am forgiven, Jesus is trying to explain that idea to a bunch of religious people. He's standing around a group of, of religious leaders who had, had been taught that religion and freedom comes at a cost. It comes at a, a cost. They, they had spent their lives, the, uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, living and learning and listening, uh, understanding, uh, memorizing the first four or five books of the Torah. Uh, and, and anyone who violate, violated those laws, they kept the distance from them because they would have been made themselves unclean and they were unclean. So there was a cost to Solat. So Jesus is very careful how he chooses his story to illustrate the love and forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. Forgiveness of God. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered to, get, to hear Jesus. Uh, around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. It, in Nufi terms, is <laughs> right? Th that's a gift. You can do that, right? And listen, you've heard me say this before. I, my mother was a master of doing that on the phone talking to people. She'd be like, and she would do it while breathing in. Like, and I'm like, breathe, mom, breathe. You can find that in the Greek version, actually. <laughs> muttered. Everybody say muttered. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. There's this, this gravitational pull to this man, Jesus. In the crowd are sinners, tax collectors, and religious people. And you notice there's a class. There's sinners and there's tax collectors, right? There's a, a lower class uh, for, for even tax collectors, because, tax collectors because they would do the unthinkable. They would gather taxes from not only from, from, from uh, just anybody, but also their friends. And they would put a little bit on the top of that for themselves. So they were not just sinners. They were the lowest of the lowest. And then there were religious leaders in this crowd. And the religious leaders around uh, him began to mutter a word used only two times in the New Testament. The kind of muttering that incites uh, rioting. You don't, you don't say it out loud, but you gather in a group and you kind of mutter among each other. And it's, it's this undercurrent of discontent. And, and, and they talk about among themselves in a way that incites rioting. And they were famous for that. And they, they're frustrated. Get this now. They are frustrated because their version of forgiveness and acceptance apparently is, isn't very inclusive. They're upset that this 
so love uh, included not just them. And Jesus is leveling the ground on who can come to God. Luke uses a word that is unusual when he says receiving and welcoming singers. Not just inviting them, but he's eating with them. He's, he's not just being around them. It is at the deepest level of community. And we're launching our small groups uh, uh, this week, our sermon-based small groups. And in among those small groups is this deep community where people gather together, they, they eat together, they converse together, they share life stories together, and they grow in their faith together. And, and this, this is at a very deep level. And this is what Jesus is inciting. Not only does he hang out with them, he's eating with them. He's at their homes. And he is taking an inordinate amount of time to cultivate a legitimate relationship with these bad people. And, and they are up in arms about it. And this is the context by which Jesus is choosing to tell one story made of three parts. A, a lost sheep, a lost coin in Luke 15. Why does Jesus hang out with sinners and tax collectors? Because I am like a shepherd with sheep or a woman with a coin collection. And then he changes the dynamics. He says this. There was a man who had two sons. Hold on a second here. This is different, isn't it? A sheep is not a human. So it smells something and it wanders off. Okay? A coin is lifeless, a lifeless object with, with little risk. Okay? But, but to lose a human was devastating to the father. But to the religious leaders listening, he definitely did this one himself. So he's about to tell this story. So the main thing we need to know at this point is how much the father loves his sons. He had, he had the, the solos. He's the dad that showed up at games and acted like a, a fool, right? Because he loved. This is a story about the father too. They lived in a village, and the people in that village thought they had seen love before, but this father so loved his sons from the day they were born. He was utterly devoted to them, and they broke his heart. It's a, we, we are, we're going to learn today that oftentimes forgiveness can come through some of the deepest, most traumatic experiences, can it? And the younger, the younger so breaks the father's heart, and Jesus is telling this to people who have, been, who have broken God's heart in different ways. In, in this story, there is a younger child. Now, coming from a family of eight siblings, there were seven brothers, and I had one sister. She was the youngest sister. She didn't start dating until all of us left home because she had her own personal bodyguards, whether she liked it or not. So the, 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 the family dynamics is interesting in large families. If you're a part of a large family, you understand what I'm saying. And I, I'm just, it just interests me, interests me, this whole family dynamic. In our house, the dynamics were simple. We had a number of rules. They weren't said out loud, but there were a number of rules. If you abided by these rules, everything went well, okay? So one was this, you ate what was before you. If you didn't, you didn't eat. Simple as that. Uh, when it was placed before you, you did not hesitate. If you did, a cold-blooded sibling could devour your food. Anybody experience that? <laughs> yep. All the people with, with big families, right? If you, you, if you wanted seconds, if there were enough to have seconds, you had to learn the gift of eating your first portion fast with little chewing and tasting, <laughs> right? Because you had a brother next to you or a sister next to you. When it came to showering, my, <laughs> my, my father measured how, how long it took for a shower head to fill up a bathtub, one bathtub. 
He figured all the boys could get a shower, not together, get a shower with the equivalent amount of water it took to fill one tub. Right? I get showers every day now if you're wondering. So with, with eight children, our model was he who hesitates gets a cold shower. Because you know what it's like, right? Water tanks weren't 60-gallon water tanks like they are today. And you know how it is, right? The older siblings always had, its, you know, had it harder than the younger siblings and always heard my brother say, Dad, you didn't let me do that when I was their age. You're getting soft, right? See, it's amazing how, how dead accurate Jesus' story is when it comes to the firstborn and the, the younger brothers. There's a younger child who is a free spirit. He, he's, he's a party waiting to happen. He loves the limelight. <laughs> he likes attention. This is the youngest, right? He wants to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. <laughs> Just wants to be the center of attention. He can light up the room. Uh, that's the baby in the family. The researchers say that's just the way they are. Then there's the, 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 the firstborn, sorry, the older brother, follow the rules, color inside the line, always made his bed, always clean his room, good grades, perfectionist, achiever. Now there are exceptions to the rules, okay? But it, he was kind of the boss, right? And so when they were little, he had a way to make the younger feel a little smaller, right? Not just younger. And research, researchers say that that's just the way they are. And so one day, the younger son shatters the family. In, in verse 11, it says, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is what he says contextually, old man, I'm tired of waiting around for you to die. Now, if my son said that to me, <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there, okay? We'd, have, we'd, have, we'd be having a closed-door conversation called intense fellowship, the kind that you don't do in front of people, Right? I'm tired of waiting around for you to die, so let's just pretend like you're dead now and give me everything today. Can you imagine the devastation? And it says in verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. This is not a lost coin or a lost sheep, is it? This is a human being with a real soul and the ability to make the right decisions or the wrong decisions. This is a person. It's not a coin. It's not a sheep. The, 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 the story is thickening, right? There's momentum to it. So now the story has this progression. The son has an identity crisis. Can you remember that time when you were a little younger and you went through that period where you had an identity crisis, right? Remember the hair, the color, and... And all those things, I know you're not smiling at because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, this son has an identity crisis. He, he wants to identify with something different, and he, and he removes himself from the security of his dad at home, his father's love, to try and discover himself. And historically, this family has servants and cattle. And in that day, they had considerable resources. And it's going to take some time for the father to honor the son's request and liquidate some of his, his possessions. So this is not just like one day to the next. This is a period of time. So you can imagine the heart of the father while he's doing this and honoring his son. And while this is all going on, uh, there is a time for the whole village to know what is going on. It's like a small town Newfoundland, right? Misses up the road, does something, everybody knows about it, right? Looking at the window, up there on the road. That's where muttering came from, right? Well, 
That, that's, that's going on in this village. The village would know, and it's a big deal when a son does this to his father. This is unprecedented. There, there is a first century custom wheel. We'll come back to in a moment. If a Jewish boy takes his father's inheritance and loses it among the Gentiles, oh, so, so the Gentiles end up with all the resources that had been part of Israel. And when that boy dares to come back home, there was actually a ceremony invoked to indicate to that kid he is cut off from not only his family, but the village. So, so the stakes are high. This was heavy on the father as he's liquidating his resources and, and his assets to give his son the inheritance, wondering, will my boy come to his senses? Will he change his mind? Will I get him back? But he doesn't. And the day cannot come soon enough for the boy. He takes his inheritance, shakes the dust off his feet, never looks back, and the last thing his dad sees is his son's back as he passes through the security of the father's gate into the unknown. Now step back now. This is a parable. Jesus is telling the story. In that gathering is the self-righteous religious leaders who measured a relationship with God by a standard of over 400 laws and memorizing the Torah, who sided with the dad and had an expectation of justice and authority and discipline, who felt it was their duty. They were going, you need to take that son, you know. And then is the sinner and tax collectors whose emotions would not agree with what the son did, but certainly could relate to being on the other side of bad choices and needing forgiveness. Everybody say, so love. And the son goes to a distant country. Everything that looks good, that looks shiny and bright and self-indulgent and desirable and pleasurable and satisfying is his. Until that money runs out, it was, it was ugly in that time when famines hit with, with riots and family members being sold off and dead bodies lying in the street. It wasn't pretty. But it was even uglier in here for the sun. And the point behind this is even when this, this is going on, the boy doesn't come to his senses until he is at the brink of death because he knows what's waiting for him if he does. When a Jewish boy squandered his inheritance among the Gentiles and tries to return home, the entire community would gather upon his return. Can you imagine? And as a symbol of how destructive he had been, how he had broken his relationship with his community, broken his family, broken his father. It was a visual culture, very dramatic gesture. You think about this. The entire community would gather together, and when that boy tried to come home, they would take pots as a symbol of his life, and they would break it. It was a cheap pot, okay? So don't worry about it. <laughs> Let's just keep that clear, okay? And I paid for it myself. This is what you've done, son. Hmm. This is a way of saying this is, this is the, the brokenness that you have caused in our community. You, you have broken everything that is good. 
You have broken trust. You have broken community. Worse, you have broken the heart of your father. Your damage is beyond repair. So let this be a symbol of your brokenness. Let this, these be the broken pieces of your broken life. You are not whole. You are not welcome. You are not family. You are cut off. In fact, they call this the ceremony the kezazah, which is a Hebrew for cutting off. And some of us have felt that, haven't we? You know what it's like to be broken. You know what it's like to make some choices and feel like that and feel cut off from people and things. And the son knows what's waiting for him, and that's why he says, so he went and hired himself. It was that bad. He knew what was waiting at home, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of that pigs were, were eating, but no one gave him anything. He would rather do that than subject himself to what was waiting for him to be cut off. Woo! The deeper story than you realize is that we've read this story, and that's why he stays away. And even though there's much pain because it doesn't compare to the pain of disappointment and the guilt of being cut off if he comes home. But finally, he says to himself, it's that bad. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, because he's going to be cut off, right? I have sinned against heaven and, and, and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I understand, Kazaza. I understand that I'm cut off. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And while he was making his way, <laughs> he's making up his speech. <laughs> that speech when you, you know you've that you and I have made up <clears throat> in these moments. That speech when you really don't have a word in your mouth, you are guilty but repentant. And he braces himself because he knows what's coming. But there's one thing he didn't count on. At the gate in his home stands an old, heartbroken man. And he's looking over the horizon as he does every day, the dad does. Hoping against hope. You know, you know the way someone walks is a really distinct thing, right? I, I don't even have to be in the same room as, as my family. I can know who is home by hearing their walk. Just by listening to the sound of a person's walk. You have the heel walker, right? right that's me. I can't sneak up on anybody. You know, it sounds like the house is falling apart when they're, they're walking. There's people like that, right? You know what I'm talking about. You have the scuffer, the person that wears out the hardwood floor in a couple years. And then you have the toe walker, right, who creeps up on you so lightly. And then, the, and then you have the lastly, the speed walker. My wife, she's a speed walker. I think she got a fast forward button. It's like, <laughs> it's amazing. I, I didn't realize she was here. <laughs> And on this day, he sees in the distance a, a familiar walk. You know what I'm saying? Not entirely the same as he did when he left because something has weighed him down. Who can you imagine walking home, it being that bad that you would subject yourself to 
the life of, of pigs and, and not even getting anything and coming home. But he sees a familiar walk. <laughs> I, lo- I love this verse. He says, while, while he's still a long way off, his father. He saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. And Luke chooses a technical term here to describe what the father did. It was normally uh, reserved for athletic contests. He didn't just run, he raced. The, the patriarch of the family didn't do that. Historically, and in Jewish tradition, the patriarch did not run. They wore robes, that, so he would have to, had to pull up his robe and expose his leg, and that was a no-no. And that was shameful in that culture. Maybe for a servant it was okay, but not for the, the patriarch in the home. But he runs. He races. Why? He can't stop thinking about it. This broken boy, if, if the village gets to my boy before I do, it, meant, it means he'll be, he'll be cut off. It will mean brokenness. It will mean shame, and that might do him in. That will crush his heart. I might lose him forever. I, I can't let this, this happen. I have to be the first one to my boy. That father picks up his robe, and he starts running And right there, Jesus is teaching the onlookers, the the tax collectors, the sinners, the religious elite, a valuable principle is this. My forgiveness is not measured by human standards. That father, filled with compassion, takes on the humiliation that should be reserved for the son and lets it all fall on himself. Sound familiar? And while the boy is expecting brokenness, a broken-hearted father, he gets a compassionate heart. Woo, that's you and me. And all the twists and the turns that have amazed the human race for 2,000 years, this is the one that is most unexpected to the people listening to Jesus that day in Luke 15. This father does what no father would do. This father runs because that, that father never stopped loving that boy. No matter how distant he is from him, he never stopped loving. No matter how far the boy went from home, that boy never stopped needing his father. No matter how far he ran away. See, this is not the parable of the prodigal son. This is not the parable of the resentful older brother. This is the parable of the father who runs. Whew. God is filled with compassion, love demonstrated by the cross for you. Whatever distant country you have been in, that, that, that when you take one step toward him, he picks up his robes, he, 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 he humiliates himself, he comes sprinting to you. This is where you say amen. amen. Woo! See, this is what he is doing in Jesus, God. How can forgiveness come from traumatic and from, from brokenness? When, when, when we allow the unconditional love of the Father to meet us at the point of our greatest disappointment. 
That's where, that's what the son was struggling with. I want to identify with something different, and he removes himself from the security of home, his father's love, and tried to discover himself only to realize that any good that he was was because of his father. You see, the strength of his identity wasn't in possessions, was it? It was in his father's namesake. He is the dad or mom who stares at his kids when they're asleep. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and your parents are staring at you? Weird. I've done it, though, because I so love. I've walked into my kid's room and looked at them. Gorgeous. Uh, handsome. Just like his f- f- mother, right? I've done it. I, I've done it. I have done it. Because I'm weird and I'm a dad who loves his children. He's the dad that shows up, this prodigal's dad. He's the dad that shows up at the gate when religion says you're cut off. <laughs> When others say, you have done too much and the shame of what you have done outweighs the forgiveness that will make it right. And the father gets to the boy, oh, please go there with me. He gets to the boy and the boy starts into his speech. The father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I practice this speech and don't you lie to me, you've done it too. Right? Before I was a pastor, as a teenager, I, I was, I was, how do you say it? Before I came to Christ, I've practiced this on the way home, knowing I had done wrong. I walked into my parents' house. My best friend made me do it. Right? That worked once. Actually, not even once. I have sinned, and you've done it. Because it's what, what's happening is, is, it's between the behavior and your relationship with God, and you feel like you can't measure up to that, and you create a speech, right? It's not good enough. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your daughter or your son. I am no longer worthy... Loving me is out of the question, so make me one of your servants. And this, this, those listening to that parable are doing this. The tax collector and the sinner and anybody else that's there is listening and they're saying, what does, it, does payback look like because I have done some things, right? I'm, uh, I'm the cutoff. I'm the, t- I'm the sinner. I, I, I know what this feels like. So as you're saying this, what, do, what does this look like? What does it look like? And the, the religious leader is saying, they did something. Notice the sinner saying, I did something. I, I'm, I admit it, I did something. But what, is it, how, what, what, what do I have to do? And the religious person says, they did something. <laughs> and whatever you do, it better be strict. It better be harsh. There better be punishment adequate for the deliberate rebellion. And Jesus is telling them the son was practicing his speech. I want to come back. I obviously can't be your son anymore. I'm cut off, but maybe I can be one of your hires. The son is not getting it. His identity isn't in being a servant. 
It isn't possessions. He figured that out. It's in his father's name. And the father gets to his boy, and the boy starts into his speech about he's going to earn his way back to the family. And his father just shuts him up. He throws his arms around his boy, embraces him, and kisses him over and over and says, bring out my best robe and my most expensive ring and my finest shoes. Kill the fatted calf. There will be, get the moose out. You know what I'm saying? Up to his knees in gravy, Right? We're going to have a party. There will not be a kazaza here. There's no cutting off. Brokenness does not get the last word. Not for my boy. There will be music and there will be dancing and there will be feasting. There will be a party because my son was lost and now he is found. My son was dead and now he's alive. This is where you say amen and you clap. Not for me. Because that's your story. You should be going, oh, yeah. (laughs) Poster child, right? Wow. That's the power of forgiveness. God takes what is broken, what's broken in your life, and he fixes it, even though you don't deserve it on your best day, your best makeup day, your best hair day. And you're like, I'm, I'm, I look good today. Even on that day, on your worst day, you don't deserve it. And God's forgiveness is never about measuring up. It's about leaning in. When are we going to learn that? It's never about you. It's about him, what he can do. And this is as simple as a message as I know how to make as the band returns. This is just about leaning in and saying, my identity in this world isn't in your past. It isn't in worldly gain. If you're in the room today and you've amassed something and you think your identity is going to be strengthened in that, we're learning today in Luke 15, it's not in that. My identity is in the name of Jesus. Amen? Maybe you have been in a really far country and made really bad choices. And you can choose to stay in a far country, living a secret life, a hidden life. You're, you're trapped in it, and you want people to th- keep thinking well about you no, so, so nobody knows. You don't have to. You can just, you can come home. And so often people think they're stuck with this earning plan. They think, I have to clean up my act up first. I have to impress God with some good intentions or good works or good deeds or some kind of track record. No, you just come home by the grace of the Father because he is the God who runs. Nobody earns their way home. Everybody say that. Nobody. You just come. You just come. And our relationship with God is built on the premise that I've been forgiven even though I don't deserve it. So Jesus tells this story, and there had to be silence. Hmm. The sinner who's been cut off, the tax collector who's worse than the sinners, cut off in silence because forgiveness isn't bought. The sinner is saying, wow. And, or earn, the Pharisees are going, what do you mean? Isn't it true? His message that day in front of 
the two audiences was this. It's those who don't understand forgiveness that run from God to clean themselves up. And then something ridiculous happens. It's like he is rewarded as if he came home with a, a PhD to honor the family name. It's like he's coming back with a return on his father's investment. Just the opposite. What does his father do? He rewards him. And if you're a part of a large family and you know that your brother did something and he got rewarded for it, something bad, holy. Right? See, the Jews were, who were listening, the, the sheep, whatever, okay, okay, the sheep. The coin, okay, the lady's fault. The son, hey, you gave him a ring? What? You want, you want to know why Jesus is telling this story? There's only one answer. There's three stories. Because of himself, the, there are three lost things. The shepherd, the woman, and the father all exactly do, this, do the exact same thing. They search, they found, they recover, they celebrate. Remember, who's there? The religious elite, the tax collector, and the sinners. And Jesus is saying, I hang out with these people because I search, I find, I recover, and I celebrate. I throw a party of epic proportions. Give me money. Take, takes this money squanders it, belittles the father's name, comes to his senses in a pig pen, slinks back home, tries to become a slave to earn back his father's love. The father doesn't even acknowledge his speech. I'm not having it. Robe, ring, stake, music. That's the scandal of forgiveness, isn't it? He didn't deserve it, but he got it. It's not logical, right? Cause and effect. It's, but Ephesians 2.8, would you stand with me all over this room? Ephesians 2.8 is this, this is for every person in this room today. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. What? And this is not from yourselves. Whoo! It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Because if we did it, something of that epic proportions, we'd be boasting about it. We'd create a social media package around it, wouldn't we? Look what we can do. Jesus said, oh, no, 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 you had nothing to do with it. Yet it's all yours. Just come. Wow. I can. Uh, I am forgiven. Because like the prodigal, Jesus takes on the humiliation. You need to hear this now. We're bridging from the parable. We're coming back from the parable. We're coming back from the audience into real life, okay? So Jesus takes on the humiliation that should be reserved for us and lets it all fall on him. And when we are found at home with him, we have our identity in him. Second Chronicles 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When I place my hope and my trust and my dreams in Jesus Christ, I take on his identity. And see, that was the mistake that the son had made that day. He thought his strength and his hope and his life was in things. He got those things. He squandered those things and realized very quickly that my hope is in my father's namesake. So yes, forgiveness can come from some of the most deepest hurts and experiences because his body was broken on the cross 
in a way that I can never even fathom. He cries out to his father, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus became the, the kazaza, the cutoff for you and me. But on the third, right? Our hope didn't die. Pastor Justin talked about our hope didn't die. It came alive. And see, would you, if you're in this room today and you have never made that, you've never understood what it is to be a child of God and, and place your identity and hope in Jesus Christ, and you would like to do that today, maybe for the first time, maybe not in, in, in understanding entirely everything, but you feel that draw towards God today. You would like to make that step of faith. There's a simple prayer that I want you to pray. We're all going to pray it together. But if it's your first time, would you pray it with us? Everybody together with lots of momentum. Ready? Next slide, please. Let's say it together. Heavenly Father, I confess to you my sin and brokenness. I ask your forgiveness as a free gift through Jesus Christ. I invite you to make your home in my heart from this day forward. Because you see, you can know everything about being a Christian and Jesus and the cross, but you can, you can still miss it unless you make a decision, unless you invite him into your life. And I want to receive your forgiveness in my heart, Lord, and ask you to be at home in my heart. The strength of who I am is found in you. I am forgiven because my identity is found in Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.